0: CliffCentral.com.
1: All right, it is I'm time. Oh, what's going on there? Was ah, like... Pumilele.
2: Yeah,
1: boy. Oh, you there? Okay, we're going to be uh, talking. I, uh, I we're am... gonna... <laughs> just checking. I think you were already starting the conversation <laughs> in in the studio there, but that's cool. No,
2: not at all. Not <laughs> at all. We were just. Great. She's
1: in the breeze. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to introduce you to our guest in just a moment. It is time for us to check in on the burning platform for this week. Lots of things worthy of discussion. Um, Popalate, Chris Hani's killer Janusz Walus being granted parole. Cyril doing a state visit to the UK. Who is in the ANC's top six and who's in nine? For the top six, and we've got a bunch of other stuff to discuss as well. But first, let me introduce our guest, Lukona Mguni, who is a governance, politics, and development specialist. He currently serves as the head of policy and research at the Ravonia Circle, which, Pums, I know you've been trying to get someone from the Ravonia Circle on for a while. We've had, um, obviously, a, a while ago, we had Songhez Zibi on. Um, but this morning, it is great to welcome Lukona. How are you, Lukona? Nice to see you. Very good morning and uh,
0: good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. It's actually quite fantastic to join you. Uh, I must say, Pumidale did drag me like, yeah, I've been looking for you guys for some time.
1: (laughs) I know we are here. Now we are here. (laughs) All right. So tell us. Just for those people who don't know it all about the Ravonius Circle, so we can start there and, and you can just refresh our memories because it has been a while since we had some on. No,
2: and even before, but I think I must say, I mm-hmm. must defend myself and say, I am not the person who dragged him, right? Mm-hmm. We had a, a, one of the listeners put a message out on Twitter and I and he said, we should get these people on. And I said, we've been trying. This okay. is how, so now he feels dragged. I just want to <laughs> say. I was I was just responding honestly <laughs> to a listener. All
1: right,
0: so well I mean we 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 are here we are here, here now. Those house rules. So uh, we're, we're
2: here now, and it is water <laughs> under the bridge. Tell us about the Ravonia Circle. You've got something interesting and exciting happening at the moment, even.
0: Yeah, I mean look, uh, we sought out to found the Ravonia Circle to be. A political think tank that would close space that we felt existed in our political landscape political parties over time have alienated a lot of South Africans because generally about 93% to 94% of the voters are not even members of political parties
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so it means in between elections political parties spend so much time servicing their membership base you know fighting and Tagging it out uh, on factional warfare and all of that And the voters remain quite unserviced outside of the processes uh, Which are always shoddy of public participation by municipal council, provincial legislatures and parliament Mm -hmm. And so what we thought was missing in the political landscape was an overtly political think tank in its outlook, which does not, you know, rely on doing research in an air-conditioned office, but would seek to go to communities and galvanize people back to democratic participation. And of course, we've been now, uh, we're just about, what's the day today? Yeah, we're just about... uh, 11 months into the work of the Ravonia Circle, we officially launched uh, in January 2022. We thought we were doing what we called a soft launch and we're going to do a big launch in March. But the traction that just, you know, came from that soft launch made it impossible for us to say we are going to launch again. People had given us the runway. And we've been doing, uh, I mean, we'll get into the nitty gritties, but we've been doing work in communities We've been to almost uh, 40 communities now across eight different provinces. And in those communities, uh, we do programs like the Democracy Builder, uh, political theater, and different convenings uh, to get people's insights. And of course, we've done two surveys. You might have seen one of our surveys lately, which we did with Ipsos, 2,000 registered voters. We did 1,000 in December last year. We've done multiple Mm -hmm. focus groups. I think we are now on 26 focus groups. So we've been trying to understand the political landscape of South Africa and the politics of South Africans and what they are looking for going into the future.
2: So, Gareth earlier in the show was musing about uh, civic education and making people take a test. Maybe this is you must engage here. Voting circle can make those tests.
0: <laughs> well, we've got a different conception to civic education. We call it civic conversations because we felt that people sometimes when they talk of civic education slash voter education, it moves from the premise that you know people don't know enough. Sure, they might not know enough about technical issues. What does section eighty nine of the constitution say? Therefore, you know, uh, the process to code and code impeach the president. But You've got to start where people Are with the conversation about Their own politics their own Conception of politics there's so many Things that have made people check out um of politics of governance I mean when you when we when we do The democracy builder for example we put Out four words we don't make presentations Say what does politics make you think of And people say deal making Corruption <laughs> uh, You know uh, <laughs> Poverty and all of the- yeah. So people are Actually they, they have a view about what their politics are and the things they don't like about their politics. So it's quite fascinating uh, to, to have that you know two-way conversation uh, rather than going to educate them because I think on the more technical aspects, uh, all of us uh, would probably fail one test or the other.
2: <laughs>
1: well, yeah, and what an indictment yes, on this us. This
2: is exactly what Karen
1: said. Yeah, what an so indictment Karen, on, on us that is. I mean, that's really just the saddest thing, right, Pumi? Because it means that we... We, we, want, we want and expect so much from politics and from our political leaders, but we're not even prepared to learn about how the thing's meant to work. So I don't want to recover ground that we've already been over this morning, but I think that is, yeah. that is something we've got to think about.
2: But So I'm very interested to know what, when you speak, when you have these conversations, um what is the overwhelming response so the the number one if you were to say of all the con- uh, all the communities we've been to the number one thing that people associate with politics
0: inefficiency Inefficiency, it manifests right, right. in different ways. But the core thing that's associated with politics right now by many people is inefficiency. Whether that is expressed in terms of, you know, lack of service delivery, whether it's expressed in terms of people being left behind by the politicians, uh, whether it's expressed as corruption, but at the heart of it hmm. is inefficiency. People really feel that politics have failed to be efficient and deliver on their promise. That's, that's the one thing on the diagnostic. The overwhelming thing that's actually surprising, and that's why we've got a tag called The Power to Act, uh, because when we ask people to come up with a project to solve for something in their community, they really think deep and sometimes don't solve for the obvious. Give you an example of a community in Sturksprate in the Eastern Cape. When they were asked to solve for, you know, um, a problem – I mean, even though saying local municipality comes out quite well in terms of audits, it's actually a very poor municipality. Uh, It's in the top 30 in terms of, you know, good audits and so on, but it's a very poor municipality. And you would think people would solve for poverty and so on. They wanted to solve for the safety of people who belong to the LGBTQI plus community. And it was quite a a, a wow factor. But when you then think about it, the discrimination of people because of their sexual orientation and so on actually is affecting families because those people belong to families. When those people are killed, families feel the pain and the brunt of that when those people are, you know, Discriminated and differentiated From the community and othered and all of that So I'm trying to say One of the things that has amazed us Is how people are ready to be Catalyzed to solutions And they really do believe After that conversation That they've got the power to act But they're not being given the space To demonstrate that power to act Because it would be a threat To some and certain politicians So
2: we sit here in studios And in our news in our uh, dinner parties in Joburg and cape town and all of that and we we we're deeply concerned about what is happening with the anc and with the factional battles that they have and leading up to their conference we know all the people that are in the (laughs) running (laughs) that they are likely to get and all of that do people in, in those outlying communities care do they care as much as we do about those political factions?
0: They they, they, they care about their own lot. They care about uh, their opportunities being stunted. They care about, you know, the difficulty to make it to those dinner tables that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that they have completely been left out of, you know, the country's development. And the truth of it is that uh, those of us who can afford to, you know, be on those dinner tables, sit in studios like this, uh, we form part of a very minority-privileged uh, grouping. And this is why I've been saying for some time, uh, and I mean, I've had this conversation with different colleagues, uh, whether it's and Pofu Walsh and others, and, I've, and I said it when I spoke at Diaconia in Durban five years ago in the build-up to the ANC conference then, um, and I said, you know, <clears throat> there's, there's one thing that South Africans are just not preparing for. It's life beyond the ANC. I've been trying to highlight this for the last five to seven years that we actually have to start a very clear conversation. I asked one news editor and I said, what happens when the ANC no longer has 50 percent? How do you decide to deploy a reporter uh, to their national executive committee meeting? because it becomes a different and a new world and I think sometimes yes because the ANC is governing you can't avoid it but I do think we overly obsess about you know the machinations within the ANC and in part it's probably our own system shock of denialism that in actual fact the ANC has disintegrated so much that it's become a danger and is harmful to society.
1: Yeah a couple of like Keywords which just make they they immediately get my suspicions up when people use them like when people suddenly cite the LGBT community to make the discussion seem a lot more valid and relevant or when people talk about like the reporters in newsrooms like no one's really reading newspapers the way that they used to especially not young people it's such a an irrelevant conversation to young people compared to the effect of like social media for example. And and I often hear people talking about, you know, the the interests of local communities or – and it's it's. it's – pat- I'm not saying this is for what you're saying at all. Um, you know, Lukona, I get what, what you're trying to address here and what the Ravonia Circle, I think, is going to do a very good job of is making the real issues front and center. But I hear people paying lip service to all of these terms, and they don't really care about that stuff. Like, no one's actually asking people – In small communities, what they care about. No one's asking them. No one's even interested in them. When last did you ever see an unemployed person sit down and get an interview? Because they're not stupid people. You're not stupid. If you're unemployed, it's not because you're dumb. But instead, we'll sit and talk to Inok Godongwana for like an hour and a half on some special current affairs program on TV. But no one's sitting and interviewing a smart unemployed person about what they go through every day, what they'd like to see in the economy, why they've stopped voting. No one's paying attention to those people. They pay lip service to them and they claim to have their mandate. You know? You even hear the the unions sometimes saying, Well, we speak on behalf of No, you don't. You speak on behalf of the members who pay. And what you're doing is you're you're following a and I'm cynical about this. I really am. I don't even make, uh, I make no apologies for how cynical yep. I am about it. These unions are just doing what they need to, the bare minimum they need to, to keep those member fees coming in so that they can keep investing in capitalist companies that they can pretend to hate on the other side of it while making the leadership of the unions <laughs> extremely rich. It's just bullshit. You know, and I hear about people going, oh well privilege this and privilege that and they're exactly the same people who are so keen on getting themselves a little bit more of that privilege just so they can use the word and make other people feel bad so gareth i mean you
0: are raising something very important because it's about the legitimacy of voices and you are touching on something that over 10 years ago i started you know contending with and you know there's this term that uh, as I grew in the academic space, you know, people would say, "Yeah, uh, these are the voices of the voiceless," and I said, "But this thing is not true. Nobody's voiceless. You just choose not to give them a space to voice out." And we were really being, you know, trained to believe that, uh, "Yeah, you, you, you are the voice of the voiceless." And I had to really ask exactly as you say, where do I get the mandate to speak on behalf I mean, what, of
1: the voiceless? I, I don't what, what, is a, that? what a what a cheek so, for people who are in academic institutions, which means they're in the top two percent of people in this country without any even if you have student loans and you've got bursaries and you've got nisfas or whatever it is. If you are in a university, you are among the luckiest and most privileged people in this country just by virtue of the fact that your backside is sitting in a university lecture hall. And you can then have the temerity and the cheek to speak on behalf of poor people who've never, they've never come to the university and said, please, will you speak on our behalf? because you've got a degree or two. I mean, it's outrageous that these academics have the kind of ability to cast their opinions around, like they're more than just a spoiled little kid. And sometimes they're not spoiled, but they're going to be on their way to being way better off than most people in this country.
0: Yeah. Look, that part of ability is going to be there. And um, it is important that we give people space uh, to – Dream about their country So I'm going to go back to the work that we do Mm. In the Democracy Builder program There was one just yesterday in East London In a small community called Dukas And um, another one today Will be in Duncan And 60 people pitched up Largely young people um, At that Democracy Builder There's a phase after we've put out The forwards of politics, government um, Governance and, and Democracy, we then invite People, you should see the floor maps that we get uh, to do uh, with sticky notes. So we give people three sticky notes and say, what are the three things you would solve for given an opportunity in your community and in South Africa? And then we do bar graphs of the issues. And we take the top three most pertinent issues and priorities community of people. And we say, in South Africa 2.0, how do these issues look like? And to the point that you're saying, I mean, just because somebody's unemployed doesn't mean that they don't have views and ideas. I was, I was or, in or, one class building in Alice in the Eastern they, Cape.
1: Or that they don't have skills. But just can I stop you quickly because we get to your Eastern Cape story now. Just, yep. What were the big issues? This is what – you're you're, at, you're actually doing the research. You're asking people. So what were the three biggest issues? In real they, time. Yeah, that they brought up in those, in those two. It so, so, so,
0: so, so it largely depends on in the community that you find yourself in. For example, f- communities in the Western Cape, philippi Kylicha, where we've done, you know, democracy builders. Their biggest issue is service delivery: sanitation, mm-hmm. water,
2: mm-hmm.
0: electricity. Mm-hmm. But then we then group all of these into one column because generally they are service delivery issues. But it's unsurprising because the moment you drive into Filippi, you've got these portable toilets and people are squeezed together. So that is the immediate pressing need. But if you are in a community where, for example, like Alice, the biggest issue in Alice was education uh, for people. It was Mm -hmm. not housing because generally rural folks have land. They have some form of house. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might not be adequate, but they are not living in a, in a shack there's formal housing in there's formal housing right so it's not their most pressing need and there's connectivity of electricity uh, as as well in some in some in some villages so then that removes them from the immediate front and center service delivery issues so education became an issue Uh, in a community in fear in kabeha their biggest issue was their local clinic because it kept opening closing reopening closing and they said it's also unsafe it has long chews and guess what that community said they would like us to assist them with becoming a clinic committee. And they've been trained by the Department of Health now. There's a clinic committee in that community because of the democracy builder work. It's not a a clinic committee that is outsourced from somewhere and brought into the community. It's self-originating from the community. So for them, health was a serious issue because here they had an institution, but it was not functioning properly because they felt there's no oversight enough to do that so i'm trying to say Pumi, it depends where you find yourself in terms of what the pressing issues in toyando their biggest problem was safety and not surprising one of the projects that came out of that democracy builder was a safety app and this guy is about to team up with some big companies now to try and scale up and ramp up the Impact and ability of that safety app. So I'm trying to say it's not just only about harvesting the issues. It's also about what are the kind of projects that come out of these democracy builders in communities, <clears throat> people finding solutions no. to their pressing Here, problems. Here's,
1: here's another problem. Nobody in the media is ever going to report on any of those issues you just talked about because they're boring and they're not clickbait. They would rather talk. Of course, they, they are, would rather they're talk. They're not shouting right. at Siri. Right, exactly. So. This is what's irritating me. Is like the media has a responsibility in all of this, and I know you've got you've got a show on ENCA, right? Yeah, yeah. So you and I, I've got this platform. Pumi and I share this platform every Friday. We've got a responsibility to also start talking about the things real people care about, instead of going for the stuff that we think is going to get us clicks and views and 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 viral marketing of ourselves on social media. This is this is a big problem, and I I blame. Massive news sites, I blame the old news organizations, the newsrooms, the journalists themselves who've become, you know, whores for clickbait as well. You're not actually talking about the shit people care about. I, I had a. This is maybe a reflection on me because I'm boring. Who knows? I had a conversation with uh, two of my clever friends the other day. I said, what is government for? This is the kind of conversation I have for fun. You know, when other people are drinking and watching football, yeah. this is the kind of stupid shit I'm doing. So these two pretty intelligent friends of mine. We sat there for a little while, maybe no more than twenty minutes, talking about what the three top things that government should be doing are. We came up with just three things. You mentioned one already, service delivery. So this is something that both the people in Kailicia and Guguletu and all those those places in the Western Cape are most concerned with. And that people who are living in suburbia like me are concerned with. So we have that in common. Number one is service delivery. Number two, we said, is maintaining and building and repairing infrastructure, as in government buildings, courthouses, you know, the, 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 the electricity pipeline, the roads, um, yeah. the, the, the fuel pipelines, the trains, the, the harbors. In, so basically infrastructure is number two, which is hugely important. Those are two vital functions of government. That's why we pay taxes. It's why we have a government. And the third one is secure borders. Because if you don't have secure borders, or you don't know what your borders are, or you don't have some means of getting in and out of the country legally, you're not a country. You don't have sovereignty. You might as well tear down the fences. And we say, well, you know, Zimbabwe has equal rights to tell us what should go on in Limpopo as we do. Why not? So I think those are three massive, massive things. And we get caught in the reeds sometimes around, you know, health and education. You know, people are pretty resilient. And the people at the bottom of the pyramid in this country are not relying on government for health, for example, because they can't. They're looking after themselves. And they're setting up – they're doing things like clinics. Yes, Pumps.
2: You're raising an interesting um, thing, which is what I pick up from what you're saying, Lukana. So, when you've had these uh, engagements, self-organizing within the communities is then very important. So, the power to act, the power to be in control and take on the solution or providing the solution from, but how are they supported? How how do the communities then get further support? Because sometimes in some communities, if I think about the rural communities where I have um, ties, is they may not know what what it, it is to run a health uh, committee or a health or a safety app, you know. So how can we support them or how do you support them,
0: if at all? Well, so we conceive of these projects as six-week projects. Um, we don't, I mean, it's, it's resources uh, to sustain of some course. of these. But what we've actually found is that there are two big needs that people need support with. One is mobility, so if you can give them transport money to be able to move from their village to the nearest town to knock at a particular door to get certain things done, partly because transportation costs have just become True. so astronomic. I mean, Crazy. I did research uh, in KZN in 2019 where we interviewed a 1,000 people from rural towns across KwaZulu-Natal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that came out was, I mean, there was a village where, it cost about 70 rands or 90 rands from that village to the nearest town. And some people are just completely squeezed out and they don't have the finances for that kind of mobility. So one is to provide mobility. The second is to tap into technology. People have cell phones, so giving them airtime, data, and so on to organize things and organize themselves, that is also very important. Because sometimes I think when we think of support, we think big ideas. I can tell you we've not seeded any of the projects in the different communities at over 7,000 rands. And they've been seen to completion by people because people then do what we were taught, at least uh, when I was still a community development student. You know, we, sp- we spoke a lot about asset based community development to say that development should start within galvanizing the assets that are within the community. I'll give you a story about Mahigang. They wanted to solve for, you know, the issue of lack of income and they didn't try and build a chicken run. They just went to a lady who has a chicken farm, but has a chicken uh, run uh, building that she was not using. And they simply asked if they could use that and utilize it for their own ends those guys are now selling eggs. They call them Ravonia cycle eggs. Uh, But the point I'm trying to show is that there are assets within our communities and we need to think carefully. I mean, Gadak is talking about what government should do to catalyze development, service delivery, infrastructure, you know, secure the borders. So you also have to ask, what are the things you can do in a community to catalyze the power to act? And I think, you know, questions around supporting mobility. I'm, I'm, and I'm, accessibility just Those qu- two just things, they're uh, very important
1: Comrade, on a point of order I was actually just saying <laughs> I was actually just saying this is what government Is for, I'm, I'm not saying this is what They yes. should do, like this is the Whole reason we bother to have One, otherwise We would just devolve into Small anarchic kind of City states or whatever. Of course. And in most of the country, that is the way that it's running anyway. You know, most of South Africa is not run by the national government, whether they like to believe it or not. There are parts of rural KwaZulu Natal. No, yet. they don't give a shit. Uh, northern K- okay. KwaZulu Natal, Northwest Province, parts of Limpopo and, and Pumalanga, certainly parts of the Free State that have devolved into uh, small fiefdoms that are either, yeah. either run by, I mean- by a gangster in chief or. By the community themselves, were they fixing their own water yeah. pipes? They're digging. Like Harris homes. Smith, yeah, yeah correct. <laughs> so we're already we already know what this is. So when people go to the polls or don't, the central question is, why do we want? Why do we need a government? And that's why I asked those that question about what are the three top things that government is there for? Because if we figure that out, we can also figure out all right. Well, what can we do without them? And what should we be doing for ourselves? And making it sustainable so that kids will be given opportunities to learn in education institutions where people will be allowed opportunities to work to make a meaningful contribution to society. And those are the kinds of things that become the big questions. I don't think we need politicians to solve those things for us. We must figure them out ourselves in think tanks and civil institutions like Pumi and and, and you and I are talking about. They must, they must hand over the budget though.
0: I mean, that over a trillion, a trillion red. Well, <laughs> budget would come, would, co- co- would come in handy in the hands of never, uh, the people. Never you will have to happen. pry
2: it from their cold dead hands.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: they will never hand it over. You will have to pry it from their. It's,
0: it's the thing that they want. You know, I spoke to one uh, veteran in the ANC ecosystem. And
2: he's,
0: ecosystem. <laughs> he, he, he said, he said, he said, <laughs> sorry, we need a moment.
2: <laughs> In the say that again
0: in the ANC ecosystem,
2: ecosystem. Okay, yeah, right. it's
0: quite an ecosystem that works in different ways. So I, I said, uh, so we're contending about this: how much money you know parties spend on elections now. He says, if it's a billion, think about it. You can spend a billion to buy access to five trillion rands over a term. Yeah, Jesus, and it's okay, and we don't see where this money goes. I mean, Brutus Malada wrote a piece um, last week in the Daily Maverick and he spoke about, you know, the Gauteng problem uh, for 2024 and how it's going to be tightly contested because there's 460 billion rands at stake that, you know, people want to control. This is this is a very big province. Uh, but, but to the point that, Gareth, you are making, I do want to push back a little though and say, we, we, we do need to get to a point of, our despondency with politics and politicians and political parties must not result in us giving up hope in the, in the political system as a concept because what it's going to do is it's going to leave the worst of the worst in that landscape and we will still be paying our taxes. We're not going to check out on paying our taxes. We will still be paying our rates. We'll still be giving them the revenue in the your hands on a silver platter to misuse and abuse uh, but we've got to figure out these multiple ways of attack and i think as you have been saying in certain places go to maluti apufong i mean the anc there did a mess of it um, councillors just wanted to get rid of a corrupt mayor of their party and the party decided to get rid of the councillors mm-hmm. And of course, now those councillors contested as MAP16 in the 2021 elections, and they're now governing through a coalition in that municipality with that collective of people who have been fixing things and so on. So I do think that there is still a need to battle and fight for the kind of people that we deserve to occupy political office. Because as both of you may know, I have said to some people, I've never seen a society that develops where... The political elite and establishment is pulling one direction, and the citizens are pulling another direction. Uh, Mampila Rampela, um, in the oh, doctor Mampila Rampela, in the scenarios, know scenarios, they called it this thing of uh, moving apart yeah. um, a, a scenario. If there's a moving apart situation. Unfortunately, there's not going to be a coherent and cohesive uh, development in our own little fifth homes, as you call them. We may feel that we are okay, we, we are we are yeah. fairly fine. It's not work. But not about the solidarity of you know citizens and 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 building a country? That you start losing that, and then you end up with no country at all. Like, I mean, countries like the Democratic Republic of Congo, they are not countries. They've got borders. But I mean, if you look at what is happening inside that country, uh, I mean, Greg Mills and David Hepst have written quite interestingly on this. This is not a country. You can't say you have a country where you've got peacekeepers for what, over 50 years? But
2: also you see there are people all over the world running away from that country because it is
0: not a country. Yes. It no. can't afford them anything and we're starting to see people running away from this country, Correct. South Africa. Go to London. Go to London. It's now easier to bump into a South African than it was 6 years ago in London.
2: Literally on the on the
0: on the tube, uh, on the bus, you you can just tell, ah, this one you know sometimes there there are these baba with their hair and their beard uh, from uh, KZN, uh, mostly. <laughs> uh, I was in London in September. I said, "Ah, this one. Ah, he's right. This one is from South Africa. I'll just say Sao and he responds. <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm. And it's not <laughs> as if it's become very easy. And it's not as if those people who are going over to London are the people that we can afford to lose. And and I, of I, not, again, I, you know, everybody deserves their place under the sun. But my God, we need engineers. We need doctors. We need people who can make things happen, and, and entrepreneurs. Yep. We, why should we lose all of our most talented people to these other countries because the government can't do its job properly to keep them here?
2: And and understand that those talented people, we had Kaya here telling us about a, a, a grouping that he is also, now you could bump into him on the metro over there in mm-hmm. London, right? About a grouping of young black chartered accountants that they have now formulated yeah. Over there in London no, and, it, and this is the thing So you, you've also got to get it over your, Around your brain That the people we are losing Are not a particular type of person It is every type of person That we need to run mm-hmm. And build our country No,
0: no, you're quite correct them. I mean, yesterday I bumped into Lawson Naidu and, on the how trade, And we spoke about this it Says he was in London Kaya Stolle Just put on a random Saturday A group of eight people uh, All black Professionals, architects, accountants, as Garak is saying, engineers. Mm-hmm. And they were watching cricket, they were having drinks, and people are living the best of their lives. We are also losing some mm-hmm. people to the companies that are beginning to establish their headquarters in Dubai. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a, a, right. a huge channel of people. And as you are saying, it's no longer a grouping, it's no longer a racial group thing. You know, it used to be like oh, uh, age, white people, uh, old eyes. white people are mm-hmm. going. People in their late 20s, early 30s are believing that their career prospects don't lie and reside in this country. They are better off flighting and going elsewhere. And I saw something very weird on this issue on Twitter. There was a week where these people who have left were literally running threads about how comfortable they are and how to live. Uh, They were saying, no, now I've got state health care. I don't have to worry. When I pay my tax, I know that my child is going to have transport. In actual fact, if you get pregnant here, and this is more around the Nordic countries in Europe, um, you'll get a stipend of some sorts uh, for six months. months And Hmm. and it was like they were recruiting. I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, What have we become if our own people are starting to... Like
1: that. You just see all those recruitment ads that are coming from all kinds of countries now when you go online, and they know that South Africans work hard and South Africans are prepared to drop everything and go. So they're advertising to us, and they can pick up real talent very quickly and cheap. So it's it's yeah. it's not somebody working. Somebody said for they are us.
0: denouncing. Somebody said they are now uh, renouncing their South African
1: passport. Mm, of course, they will take listen. up citizenship that side, and it's fine. If you're young and you haven't really established. Deep roots here, and you don't see much of a prospect. Why the hell wouldn't you? Is the is the question. And instead of Cyril, who's also in London at the moment, going over there to wine and dine with the new king, which I suppose is and important, be carried, and be carried on a carriage. Somebody. Uh, well, I mean, have you seen those? Pe- Listen, first of all, that's all good. That's what that's what the Brits do when someone comes to visit. It's fine. I'm glad that Cyril was the first official state visit for King Charles the Third. Whoop de do, but. He is doing all of that stuff, which, of course, has its role. And there's something about that kind of summit international diplomacy crap that we kind of have to keep paying heed to because there are occasionally important things that happen in those discussions. But by and large, uh, what did you make of of his visit? What would you like to see come from things like that in the future? Because it does cost us money to send Cyril and the delegation that he took with him to uh, fancy state dinners and in, in, you know, diplomatic reception. Has the presidency
2: tweeted yet? Has the presidency tweeted know. about what
1: they're doing? I don't there? know. I would love to. I would love to know what would we. What are our victory conditions for going to something like that? I'd love to just see. Okay, well, we've got to establish these kinds of trade deals. Let's let's work on you know some process whereby they can help us to generate more power. Or whatever it might be, there's there's skills that we maybe we should come to some arrangements over over the South Africans who live. To. Maybe the South Africans who live there should be paying uh, less tax here if they're working over there. Something there must be some incentive structure that makes it worth yeah. us sending Cyril there. What do we want from it?
0: No, I, I I I hear you, Gareth, and I mean, look, I am never optimistic about those type of pomp and ceremony. Uh, you know banquets, because generally, I don't think that they are intended to yield much result they part part- part of diplomatic work is just a show of force it's just a show of friendship it's just a uh, it's king charles the third saying i've got the ability to choose uh, who's my first you know guest and i want south africa we are always first in line for some odd reason or the other uh, even when former president zuma came into office the queen quickly said come sholozi uh, join me there, there was nothing that was going to come but you quite correct to say in the working meetings because then you have some parallel sessions amongst ministers and so on uh, in the working sessions there should be things that we are able uh, to leverage on like you are saying pumi a, a health partnership the nhs yeah. with all its faults and all its problems of being underfunded that politicians in the uk fight about uh, you know not enough doctors in hospitals and so on the nhs works and because i came from a commonwealth uh, when i stayed in edinburgh i was on the nhs i could go and get Uh, When I was going to travel to Kenya from Scotland, I went and got my hepatitis uh, tests done for free. You would never do a test like that here in South Africa for free. So we've got to be able to say, do we have the kind of serious politicians, legislators and bureaucrats who really mean it when they strike these deals because if we were to go to the depository of all these bilateral and multilateral agreements you'd probably find some very interesting things that have been signed into agreement have been you know uh, envisaged into the future as partnerships the uk is extremely vulnerable now in terms of its exit uh, from from the european union i mean if you if you've been there in recent times people are really contending with the issue of inflation uh, Energy prices were almost going off the roof And, uh, Mm. uh, you know, something had to be done about, about, about them Liz Truss, one of the first things that she did When she got into office was that mega- Hundred billion pounds energy deal which backfired but she had no choice but to do it because you are starting to have households saying that the projection is that we may be paying six and a half thousand uh, pounds uh, per household on average for for energy in the next six eight months Mm -hmm. so they are vulnerable there are places where we need to plug in holes in those economies we must not See ourselves only as recipients uh, from these economies, and I think the framing for me, even in the just energy transition you know um, investment program that the president has been championing, is to conceive of us as just mere recipients of course we 've oh, got yeah. our blackouts and so on, but we 've got to also think of how do we fill the gaps i mean I was in a conference at the Vatican a few years ago and one academic protested, um, it was part of the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. And, and one academic from Italy said, but why are we speaking about a youth we don't have? And I thought, here is an opportunity. Africa has a, 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 a demographic dividend. You just need to let the young people are given opportunities education skills and training and it's not just the two percent that we were talking about that is in universities but we give them the skills in you know vocational studies and so on and suddenly you've got programs of sending some of our young people to go and fill up spaces because we're not going to avoid the issue of migration but how can you do it in a coordinated effort in a way that you know it's about making sure that people are not living because Because conditions are difficult in their countries But they're actually leaving because they've got something to offer um, To the world Japan ran out of truck drivers at some point And it was a big crisis for the construction industry And and, and the logistics And moving of goods industry Uh, But how are we taking care of those opportunities Because the Chinese are taking uh, Care of opportunities that are in our economy Uh, People from India are taking Care of opportunities in the ICT fields And in the diamonds polishing space uh, That are in our country you name it, all kinds of, I mean, some of the big restaurants here in Johannesburg are not owned by South Africans. They are owned by people from Portugal, uh, yeah. people from, you know, your, your, your different countries in Europe. So, but what are we doing? What is our agenda to the world rather than, well, you know, the world to the world us? And that's what, what I would like right. to see, Gareth, in those kind yeah. of visits. Problems?
2: I also hear you talk about kind of de- determined uh, bureaucrats that know but is out there. This is one of the issues that we have in our country is really in that bureaucratic space, not just people who have been deployed. There's much has been done about deployed by a particular uh, party into a space, which is also one of the things that going into 2024 with much talk about coalitions is a very big worry that we have is, are the bureaucrats that we have in our system Able to continue working No matter what the political Turmoil may look like Because we don't see that, right? So here in Johannesburg We have got a coalition government in place That is very fraught with many things I see Mpopalazi is facing Yet another uh, motion Of no confidence Meanwhile, the rubbish is not getting Collected, like the work is not getting done Because those individuals Who are the bureaucrats, who should Keep the work running don't
0: do that either. So this is an this is an important thing, and I again I I said to somebody yesterday, it's part of this denialism that uh, South Africans tend to to. Uh, that's why we've always uh, been conditioned. No, it's not a crisis. No, we can all see there's a crisis. Mm-hmm. We are refusing to come up with a piece of legislation that one will deal with how coalition governments are you know constructed begin one. Uh, secondly, with the possibility of a national election, for example, you know, with no, with the NC dropping below 50% in 2024, the problem even becomes more difficult. And one, the first is that you don't have enough time to try and put up these coalition arrangements. And then it leads to the scavenging thing. But <laughs> we also have not come up with ways, and the National School of Governance, I mean, they talk about it as professionalization of the public sector, and I say to them... Um, is when, like
2: you. When, He's when, also <laughs> been trying not to come here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you must, you must bring him here and ban him. Uh, Because I say to, I say to Busani, look, Busani, you can give, you can give DGs, for example, directors general, you can give them 10 year contracts. The high turnover and the insecurity of tenure of directors general is not because of how many years they have on their contracts. It's because of the type of politicians who are always trying to interfere with the bureaucracy of their departments and then they chuck out DGs or a person arrives at a department, they have a person they have a personality clash yeah. with a person and they ask that they be transferred to a different department. So the high turnover of DGs in government is not because their contracts are either five years or ten years. It's because we have not come up with a formula that insulates to a degree our bureaucracy for it to be able to continue to work even with the political machinations now there has been an instability of a bureaucracy without a coalition government at national right and i think it will probably worsen with a coalition government. If we don't put parameters in place to ensure that the power of politicians, this is where it begins and this is where it ends. They will always tell you, no, we are there to provide a strategic political leadership and guide the policy direction of the department. But behind the scenes, they are pressuring DGs. They are pressuring DDGs to make deals on their behalves mm. to appoint service providers that they want and, 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 and maybe what we also don't have is a platform where GGs can go when they are aggrieved with their bosses. I mean, you saw the fight between Dr. Blade and Zimande and Quebs. Quebs was left with like two months of his contract, but (laughs) Zimande was adamant he's going to suspend him, he wants him fired, Quebs went to court, Mm. and then and Zimande said he's firing him because of the National Skills Fund uh, audit outcome by the Auditor General. But guess who doesn't want to release the, the, the report, uh, the investigative <laughs> report on the National Skills Fund? It's Blaine Zimande. So who, who was actually the problem around the National Skills Fund issue? So right. we've got to ask these questions and then use the case studies to say there's clearly something rotten here in the, in the sharing of power. Between the political establishment and 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 the bureaucrats, and we've got to go to other countries and and, and see, you know, how that you know a division is achieved, a division responsibilities divisions of roles. Yes, there will always be interference. Politicians by nature uh, always want to feel that they've got the final say, they've got the power, they exercise it, you feel it. But as we move towards the possibility of coalitions, some people are now asking, in actual fact, I was responding to an email on my way here because someone was saying, um, what of directly electing the president? And I said, well, there's not a commission report has made this uh, proposal. Uh, many people uh, f- fear it for a number of reasons because of how our country is in equality and that it could end up being a contest of billionaires and what are our people people have money. But theoretically, what it could do is help us Uh, Not be swallowed by these Coalition arrangements Imagine if you changed presidents As much as the cities of uh, Tswane and of Johannesburg Have changed mayors Uh, Presidents have lifetime salaries Presidents have lifetime security Uh, You would suddenly now Be stuck with 10 former presidents Mm -hmm. And maybe because of the Deal making and the shenanigans of politicians They could just say Hey guys, we will give each other this thing uh, uh, In rotation One year it will be you, one year it will be you, one year it will be... Nothing is beyond politicians. But if you directly elected the president, what you would do if you directly elected the president, you would have to remove Section 102 of the Constitution, which is the motion of no confidence. Because Parliament can't lose confidence on a person that they did not elect. right? And you would keep Section 89, which is our version of an impeachment clause, Mm -hmm. because Section 89 has a far higher threshold two-thirds of parliament must vote in favor of removing the president rather than 50% plus one. So you've got to start thinking about these governance issues in anticipation of mischief politically, because we have seen it and there's no reason to believe that at a national level, the political mischief that prevails in local government will not be there.
2: So which brings us maybe for the last little bit to a, a really an ongoing discussion, but one that the Rivonia Circle is Actively involved in and it's it's in a uh, direct representation and change ha! the electra.
0: Oh, lo, lo. <laughs> mm. well, le, le. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah. That one, look, I mean, I, I think they now agree. I think the ANC, again, I'll use that word for your entertainment for me. The ANC ecosystem now agrees that it has been wrong on this issue. Hmm. Uh, they've also been lambasted by former presidents of the ANC Former president Mbegi Two weeks ago in the Sunday Times There was a massive column of an interview with former president Khalima Mutlante
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and, and because they know <clears throat> that the current arrangement was transitional in nature Because of where we were in 1993, to create a democratic breakthrough moment, you needed to make sure that there is much possibility for everybody to be represented one in parliament. And partly because parties generally were quite... Insular in terms of their interests You know, uh, you had the Mangopes who were interested In their, <laughs> you know, carrying on Their legacy from uh, the Bantustan, you had you your had minority MP France had had uh, for, for, for Indian people So you did create a system that would make it possible For one, everybody to Want to participate but also feel that they had an opportunity for representation in parliament. And then when the clause for the government of national unity was put in place, it was not a coalition government. The ANC had over 50%. But again, it was to say there has to be a degree of collaboration because of where we are coming from. And anybody that had, I think, over 10 seats in parliament could be part of the government of national unity. And the NNP was there, uh, the IFP was there, and so on. Now, however there was a committed there was a commitment to say we would have to envisage one a truly representative electoral system secondly an accountable electoral system and thirdly a localized electoral system that is closest to the people now the fact that they sometimes use the argument that says yeah but people don't even know who their are what counselors who they are what are is neither here nor there doesn't matter whether i know who my ward counselor is the fact that if I do want to find them, I would know exactly who represents my constituents if I yep. do need to find them, if I do need to talk to them. don't always have to talk to them, right? Uh, but now, what is at stake is not the inclusion of independent candidates. What they are running away from is that we are about to crack open the closed party lists because a party can say, this is our 200 MPs going to the election, and you think, hmm, brilliant people. And then... They get their seats and now they have to deploy and they say, Oh, no, 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 no. These people are not available. Now, these are going to be your (laughs) parliamentarians. Now, I'll give you an example in my town, a small town of Flexstaff in the Eastern Cape. They are also my relatives, uh, the Kappas. They are both members of parliament, right? Uh, The husband was on the regional uh, to national list, Eastern Cape to national and the wife uh, deputy minister was on the national to national list now suddenly the ANC has to make a choice between the two who's going to stand for them in that constituency? <laughs> it's now no longer automatic that both husband and wife can go and be representatives in parliament they must make a choice so partly why there is resistance to the electoral reform agenda <laughs> is because it's going to present some political parties with headaches They know that, I mean, I I can imagine Faith Mutambi trying to win her (laughs) constituents in Limpopo uh, to send her to Bame. I don't think she would like it, but she's chairperson of her portfolio committee now. She's secured. So once you start creating that competitiveness in the elections, unfortunately, some people are going to lose out. Some are not even known in their communities. I mean, Cyril would have to make a choice whether he resides in Shiawelo or Hyde Park and whether he can win. (laughs) If he was to represent a community around Hyde Park. I mean, he doesn't live in an ANC ward, right? right. So these are the current problems that people are grappling with because it becomes a point of vulnerability. Because what if I can't win the constituencies? And as we have been seeing with local government elections, uh, once you introduce a direct election constituency system, you also make competitive mm-hmm. the proportional representation list. So you've had parties like the EFF, for example, represented in the city of Johannesburg without even uh, winning ward. But they've got councillors in council. So this idea that small parties would die is also false. It's also false. They say, no, no, we keep the proportional representation because small parties will die. Rubbish. There's there's direct representation in the city of Etiakwini. There are 18 parties. They have 23 seats amongst themselves. So small parties don't die simply because you change the electoral system. What you make complex, though, in national elections is because of the viability of national elections, the prestige of national elections. There are now people who are not in politics who'd suddenly want to contest in their constituencies. Maybe a Tulima Donzela could say, uh, my, my parting shot to South Africa is to just uh, represent a constituency in parliament and I will be a legislator and make sure that the laws of the country are to the, you know, competence that we require them. Now, suddenly some mediocre politician. It has to be toe-to-toe with the Tulima Donzella and you, you increase the competitiveness of the system. Absolutely. And that's what the ANC in particular does not want.
2: And they're dragging their... Including,
0: including their fellow travellers, the PAC,
1: EFF, and al Jama. Well, <laughs> I couldn't think of a better note to Boom. end it on. Do you want a mic Gareth, to mute. Uh, Do
2: you want a mic to drop?
1: I can't Boom. I can't I can't think of a better way to end this actually. Um, I've gotta say, like, Lukana, it's such a pleasure to have not only the refreshing ideas that you've brought, like I mean we have not discussed and we've been doing the burning platform for years now, but the one thing we haven't got to discussing is some of the stuff that you've just brought up now about competent legislative uh, politicians who are elected in independent roles, but also the idea of having a president who's directly elected, which we haven't ever discussed before. Re- reforming the systems that don't work. I love this stuff. You've really made me think. There are plenty of comments from people who I haven't even been able to to put up on screen, just agreeing with you, wanting to hear more from you. I mean, this is the work of the Rivonia Circle, and you can find out more from Lucano, Lucano and his other uh, – Lukona, sorry, and his other friends at the Rivonia Circle, some of whom we hope to have uh, join us again soon. But you have been a real winner this morning. So thank you for coming and being part of the show.
0: Ach. Thank you, thank you for the candid conversation and reflections, uh, Gareth and Pumi. Really, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, interrogating some of you know our assumptions, some of the work that we do, sure. uh, but also just giving us an opportunity to share some ideas. And I do think, Gareth, that the the, the greatest work that we've got to do uh, going forward is to really think carefully about the kind of state reforms that we need uh, that may put us on a different course and journey as a country. So thank you so much for this morning. I love it. it.
2: Doesn't always have to be in the DMs that you get. To <laughs>
0: Yes, uh, and and, it's on the and, uh, and I must and I must and I must say that K uh, uh, Kwanele KZ has already come and said I dragged you and not Pumi, so Pumi you are protected.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you everybody, and have an excellent Thursday. Thank you, we you so will, much. Uh, we will join you again. Have a lovely day. Thank you, thank you, Lukon, and we will see you again next Thursday for the burning platform. And in the meantime, don't forget that we're on tomorrow morning bright and early at 6am right here on cliffcentral.com. Cheers everybody. Bye bye.
0: Cliffcentral.com.